You're listening to the Level 5 podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the subjects that matter in business and management. Hello, and welcome to the Level 5 Strategy Lounge podcast. I'm your host, James, and today I'm joined by Andre Fleurarou, consultant at Level 5. Andre, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, James. Excited for the podcast today. It should be, should be a lot of fun. So, Andre, today we're talking about Greta Thunberg, a pretty incredible 16-year-old environmental activist that's generated a lot of media attention and environmental awareness over the past two years. Greta first garnered attention when she had a school strike for climate and petitioned outside Swedish Parliament in 2018. Since then, Greta's come a long way. Greta's spoken at the UN Climate Change Conference and been on the cover of Time magazine, which named her a Next Generation Leader. She's increased the global awareness of the environmental crisis we're all facing. Most recently, millions of citizens and groups marched in solidarity across the globe for the global climate strike. A little closer to home, on September 27th, thousands of people gathered at Queen's Park in Toronto. Although Greta wasn't in Toronto, her presence and influence was. Andre, I'm curious, when was the first time you heard about Greta and what was your reaction? So the first time I think I heard about Greta was uh, soon after her UN climate change conference uh, speech, where she essentially called out a bunch of policymakers and governments for not taking action um, for our climate crisis. So that was sort of the first time I'd heard of her. And since then, she's become more of a household name. Um, I find her incredibly inspiring, given the fact that she has started what is somewhat new in the climate activism space, which is specifically targeting the youth aspects of things. Um, And I find the fact that at at 16 years old, uh, she has the awareness um, and the courage specifically to be able to protest this in front of government, um, in front of policymakers, uh, is an incredibly inspiring thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you're obviously not the only one that's been inspired. Most recently, uh, during the last week of September, I heard that Close to 7 million people actually marched in solidarity across the globe to bring awareness for this climate crisis. Uh, a bit closer to home, on September 27th in Toronto, thousands of people gathered at Queen's Park, uh, as well as other locations. While Greta wasn't in Toronto, her presence and influence certainly was. What I found particularly interesting about last Friday's strike was the decision by some companies like Mech. Lush, and Patagonia to also close in solidarity. This allowed their staff to support the global climate movement. Uh, As a pretty conscious consumer, Andre, what was your reaction uh, to their decision to close? I was incredibly excited to hear that so many organizations were willing to close and allow their employees to go out and participate um, in these strikes. My take on it is that this isn't just a government problem. This isn't just uh, a citizen problem. Overall, this is an entire society problem, um, and as a result, it's paramount that organizations get involved in this as well, um, and I think that the organizations that have uh, allowed their employees to go on strike and that have partaken in these environmental uh, movements are cause for inspiration. Yeah, I completely agree, and it's exciting to see a lot of businesses start to take more ownership and get more involved with sustainable issues. As a kind of self-described healthy skeptic, I guess, uh, I'm curious, how do you view different companies? Obviously, greenwashing is an issue, and 
how do you try to identify those which are truly authentic in their purpose and their movement versus those that are just trying to capitalize on a popular movement? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fantastic question and something that I think a lot of individuals struggle with. Um, so for me, the way that I define sustainability specifically for businesses and organizations um, is the creation of a society, a sustainable society um, through radical change. So that's not to say that we're going to continue to maintain the same current systems and sustain those by sort of patching up problems and just putting band-aids on them. We actually need to completely rethink um, how we actually go about um, our business models, our supply chains, etc. Um, so the way I like to think about it is there's almost four types of organizations, and I would say that about 80% to 90% of organizations fit within one of these categories. Um, so the first one are those that are truly sustainable. Um, so there are those who are challenging the status quo through, uh, as I mentioned, their business models or their supply chain. Uh, a good example of that would be uh, Patagonia, who has revolutionized the way that we think of a traditional retail organization. There are those that are trying to be sustainable, but don't really know how, or they don't even have the buy-in uh, to do so. So they'll run sustainability campaigns. They may attempt to make changes, and either they don't know how to do that, or they don't have the buy-in from their executive team, from shareholders. So um, a good example of that would be, and um, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, is Starbucks. So Starbucks had attempted through stuff like their, their straw policy that uh, got critically acclaimed, that's a good initiative, um, but what they fail to kind of do, and I, I think it's in large part due to the lack of buy-in from the organization as a whole, is they've cut down on plastics, um, but they haven't done other things and other initiatives along the way to, to make true change. Um, but I will give them the benefit of the doubt that they're at least attempting to do so. Um, the third organization type are those that are in it to hit their sustainability quota. Um, so they're knowingly not making change. They're treating it entirely as a marketing campaign. Uh, you know, they've got a, a great marketing department. They've done their customer segmentation. They know what audiences to hit um, and through the right channels, but they're not really creating any purposeful or meaningful impact on it. Um, an example of that would be, um, I can't remember the name of the organization off the top of my head, um, but it's a plastics company and they were trying to create a recycling program um, yet they didn't change their supply chain when the polymers that they were using to create their plastics were not very recyclable in and of themselves. Um, so that just goes to show that they're just trying to push out to consumers and say, hey, we're hitting our sustainability quota. We're not creating true, meaningful or purposeful impact uh, for the environmental uh, crisis. And then lastly, um, there's those that don't even try. Um Thankfully, I think consumers have become aware enough to um, not necessarily go to the organizations that are not even trying. Um, so we're seeing far less of those types of organizations. Unfortunately, uh, what's happening is that we're treating the organizations that are in those second and third buckets, the ones that are either just trying to hit a sustainability quota or just don't have the buy-in um, or don't even know how to create a true change. We're rewarding them by essentially giving them a gold star and saying, hey, here's an A for effort. Um, and what I think Greta has done a, a great job of and, and more like her, um, she's changed the rhetoric so that we're not just rewarding these individuals now. 
it's it's not enough. And and she's making that very clear that it's not enough to, to just try. Um, you have to create true action through radical change, not just through Band-Aid solutions as you go. Yeah, I completely agree. And when it comes to those companies that are just filling a quota, if I understand correctly, those are really the ones which consumers have to be a bit more critical of and be a little more aware of. Obviously, it's a bit of a buzzword, but the greenwashing aspect. At the same time, it's it's pretty exciting to see certifications like B Corps and movements like ethical investing, which are starting to reward those truly sustainable companies that have it really throughout their organization. And it's part of their identity. Kind of on that note, actually, MEX CEO Phil Arata was interviewed and he said part of the reason we closed down is because sustainability is really part of our DNA. Um, I'd like to kind of focus in on that and within the context of a brand. So sustainability being part of the DNA, how does that help MEC kind of consistently keep their promise, as we like to say, at level five? Yeah. So th- that's a that's a great question. Um, I think to, to take a step back and, and sort of focus in on the two parts of that. So the first one is... Um, this idea and the, the quote that uh, Mech had brought up around sustainability is part of our DNA. Truly what that means is that Mech is making a promise to its market um, and that means to its employees um, and to its customers. Um, they're making a promise that they're going to uphold sustainable values in everything they do um, if they're going to really truly be um, part of their DNA. So that's the first piece is that they're making that promise around sustainability to the entire market. The second piece, and more importantly, is this is what differentiates, as I mentioned, those organizations that are truly sustainable from those that are just trying to hit their sustainability quota. It's not enough to just say that. You have to actually consistently keep that promise you're making to your market um, by creating the right um, business model for it. So that means everything from, you know, the way you do your marketing, the way your employee culture is set up your supply chain, um, how you're financing, your diversification in other businesses. There's a a plethora of different things that you need to keep in mind if you're truly going to consistently keep that promise of sustainability um, and if you're making that promise that it is part of your DNA. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up that employee piece. Oftentimes, we think of brands as more or less exclusively consumer-facing, But I think that this is actually a great example of how MEC is using their brand as part of their employee value proposition and how that's something that can help attract talent, but also retain it. And it it just shows that the promise that they're putting out there to employees is something that they will stand by. Now, at Level 5, we ultimately do help clients drive profitable growth. I'm curious, when you hear the decision by these stores to shut down, What's your reaction in terms of how that can actually benefit their bottom line? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Because again, it, it seems almost paradoxical uh, in the sense that, hey, we're going to shut down our stores, therefore foregoing uh, customer foot traffic in our stores, or foregoing revenue, or foregoing sales. But at the end of the day, really what it comes down to is it all stems from, as I mentioned, that promise they're making to the market. So if they're truly going to make sustainability part of their DNA and they're going to say that to their customers, they have to then go ahead and actually uh, action on that. So what they've done is, although it seems almost contrary, you know, for a retail who may have investors, shareholders to say, Hey, we're going to shut down our sale or our stores. And as a result, forgo all these sales, 
Um, it's truly showing to customers that they're going to believe in that promise. And as a result, you're actually building a larger community um, of consumers who are going to be then willing to go to your store because they believe in your promise. They believe um, in what you're going out to the market and saying. Um, so although it might seem paradoxical in that sense, I think it's a great move by organizations who fall in that bucket of being truly sustainable to go ahead and action on it, shut down their stores, and they'll then reap the benefits of uh, a larger community, larger revenue generation later down, uh, later down the road. Um, longer term strategy, obviously, you're not looking for short term gain. Um, and I think that's a, a critical part of, you know, changing the way that we think about um uh, our business model and our, our supply chain now. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective. And what these companies have successfully done is create a stronger bond with customers. So they're not just going to these stores to buy a singular product, but rather they're going there because they believe in the purpose and the product and what the company stands for, building a kind of stickier relationship and a stronger relationship with customers. Andre, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thanks for having me, James. It was fun. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning into Strategy Lounge, the Level 5 podcast. To learn more about our work, please visit level5strategy.com.